Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On the Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Background YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I am joined by my virtual co-host, Mr. Mark, you him virtual because I saw him in person just a couple I of I know. I, you know, we were so close to an IRL uh, event. And, I mean, a uh, recording. And we just could, couldn't make it happen. But uh, yeah, we're back to virtual. And uh, you're still in Austin. I'm in, I'm in Chapel Hill. I made it back uh, to see my son's football game. So quick reveal. I, I am wearing for the second time in a week. And no, I didn't wash them. The orange pants. Uh, and I went with the Genesis block sock game today. Why? Because last night I was just hanging out with, we have a new cat and I'm just hanging out and I came across Robert Breedlove reading the money speech from Atlas Shrugged blown away. I mean, I mean, other than the fact that I just hate, staring at the guy because he's so handsome and so, I mean, anyway. But uh, as long as I'm not standing next to him, it's okay. But but he, this speech was amazing. So, But then right after that, I rewatched the opening speech by Voorhees uh, from Permissionless. That is one of the best orations I've ever heard. Just full stop. I mean, I heard a lot of speeches. That was really, really good. And it was so compelling and it's kind of like a mantra now, you know, rebel against permission and the whole idea of, of be permissionless, not, not just attend the conference, which was great, but actually kind of why we're here. So back to the Genesis block, right? We were rebelling against the second bailout for the banks. And when you put the two together, you put the money speech and Voorhees talked together. It's like, I mean, really, it was mind-blowing. One thing before I get going, huge shout-out. It is so heartening and humbling to have people come up to you and say, you know, I spend every Saturday with you. It is so cool to me. I just, that, that people listen to our conversations uh, every Saturday. So to, to everybody who came up to me during permissionless and, and said, hi, thank you. Cause that's so cool to put, you know, faces with, with names and, and uh, avatars, but, but, but thank you for sharing your time, your most precious resource with us. That that's just, it's just so cool. There were many epic moments actually. And, and congrats. And I said this in, in a, in a tweet, but, but congrats to you and Yano and, and the whole BlockWorks family, because I know there's a lot of people involved. Uh, and I'll give a shout out to the Bankless guys too. Uh, they're probably involved a little bit. But um, unbelievable uh, content, unbelievable energy, and just a real privilege to be a part of it and had a blast. Yeah, that was, that was sort of my takeaway as well. You know, we've talked on the show before about bull and bear cycles in crypto and how extreme they are in this sort of four-year cycle that, that crypto has been held captive these, these last couple of years. And typically what happens this far into a bear market and what's so hard when you start to see the bear market coming on is that 
there's, there's not really a great light at the end of the tunnel because you know, if you've been in this industry for a while, it doesn't get better. You know, you don't make it through some sort of tough head wall and then it starts to get better toward, when it really takes off. It yeah. just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. That said, so this far into a bear phase, usually the enthusiasm is pretty muted. People are feeling pretty down. Yep. That is not the case right now. There is a tremendous amount of energy. There is a tremendous amount of real problem solving and real businesses being built and things getting done. So look, obviously not as crazy and the velocity isn't as high as when prices are going up and everyone's feeling great. But I I love these periods of time because usually my sort of framework for it is in one bull cycle, there's a lot of innovation, but there's a lot of crap that happens as well. And there's a lot of problems that get unearthed and we learn about core infrastructure problems. And then during this next bear phase, we get really, really laser focused on yeah solving them. And it feels like that's what's happening at the current time. So for me, thank you. I just appreciate you coming in. Thanks for everyone who attended the conference. Um, you know, it's great to meet many of you in person. And yeah, I just left feeling super enthused and refreshed, I would say. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting too, in that um, I thought one of the really good parts of, of the conference itself was the balance between the the high end kind of just hype like thumping our chest and i mean i don't want to i won't call out this other big conference but there's almost like too much of that it's like okay by the fourth or fifth person talking about how smart they are for buying this one particular asset i'm like okay i got it it's smart but there wasn't that 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 wasn't the theme here the theme was was there was a, there was some some discussion about about assets but more importantly there was a lot of discussion about the technology and and kind of to your point what what problems we're trying to solve I, I tell you I was I I had the most fun um at the the, the debate and everyone knows I, I actually <laughs> like debate perhaps maybe I mean um, well, but, I like di- but I like dialogue and debate in search of truth, right? That not debate for debate's sake, but, but when people are trying to learn from each other and, and, and not, we're not necessarily convinced the other, although there, there, there was, li- there's always a little bit of that, but, but I thought the, uh, the panel with, with Cosmos, Solana and Optimism, uh, was awesome. And, and the fact that there was conflict and the fact that there was, you know, legitimate uh, differences of opinion that were aired live and, and kind of some back and forth, bravo. I mean, that was awesome because, yeah. and they didn't go so far down in the, and so my other point was, but it wasn't so far like a techie conference mm. where you had to be, a developer or, you know, uh, an expert to really understand. Now, now, it did slide there a little bit. There was a couple of times I'm like, okay, too much jargon, too much jargon. Let's, <laughs> go, back. Let's go back to the big concepts and away from, because, you know, that's one of the things, and, and I, I, I try really hard to do this in, in life, avoiding jargon. Because when you're, comfortable with a particular area of expertise, whatever it is, and you've, you've lived it, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're an investment professional, whether you're a technologist, when you slip into your jargon, 
it's not helpful because other people can't keep up. And if you use jargon, explain it, right? Say, if I use this acronym, tell, tell me what it is. But there wasn't as much of that. But I did think the balance between big picture, the Voorhees talk, and you know the, the true tech discussions was, was very good. Yeah. You know, it's, if you boil down, if, if you were to just look at crypto, uh, first of all, if, you, if you're not in the industry at all, if you look at it, you'd say it's one very similar group of people. Once you, you know, start to dive in, you say, wow, there are these very different sects. And actually some of the intersect ecosystem rivalry is much greater than, than you would even think from the outside. But the, most of the difference in these communities starts based on dis- differences in very small technical definitions. And, and, and then it spirals into something that becomes much larger and a community and values based. And when it expands to the level of something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or these sort of inter ecosystem competitions, I think the vast, vast majority of people don't even understand what originated the argument to begin with. And the, the single biggest, oh. the single biggest <laughs> argument that, that most people have within blockchains, the origination of even the Bitcoin block size wars back in the day. Is all based on one, it's being a little bit reductive here, but largely one idea, which is how expensive should the requirements be for users to validate the network? The blockchains are shared databases. And the unique aspect of blockchains is that users can use whatever hardware they have access to, Mm -hmm. to validate the computation and make sure that it's being done with integrity or based on the rules that we've all agreed on for this shared database. And the, the, the challenge with that is that if you want people like you or me, Mark, to do that, I've got my laptop computer, right? I, I'm not going to go buy some fancy piece of hardware that costs tens of thousands of dollars and yeah. pay a bunch in electricity, right? So I should just be able to run on my computer. Problem is my computer is not that high powered, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it limits what you can do as a network. Yeah. And there have been wars, literal civil wars within Bitcoin and across different ecosystems about just how, how to keep that hardware requirement low or how low should the hardware requirement be? And if we keep the hardware requirement low, how do we scale? And that is largely, again, I'm being a little bit reductive. There's some other differences, but that is the biggest difference in between different ecosystems. And it has blossomed into this. It's just funny. It's it's, it's actually interesting because the, the debate often takes on religious fervor. It is. And the belief systems of, of the tribes resemble branches of, of religion. And to your point, when you reduce it all back down, it's kind of the same principles, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Methodists and Episcopalians and Protestants and Catholics and, and Jews, and there's less differences than similarities. I, they're just, I mean, it's just the way it is. And that actually is a really good analogy that especially the sort of the, the evolution of Judaism as a religion into Christianity and then Christianity <laughs> branching from Protestantism, uh, from Catholicism, Protestantism. I mean, the core belief is probably 90, 95% the same, but it's the, that last 5%, which yeah. by the way, I've, actually made that exact comparison between uh, Bitcoiners and the gold community. I, I mean, the core belief system is really, really similar. It's just the last 5%. 
Although there's a lot of overlap, I think, between those two communities. But, you know, sometimes there's... Yeah. But, yeah, but well, you think about it, forks and branches, that's, it's kind of the same idea. And, and also part of it is when someone, because it's a human, that, that creates the fork or the branch with this new religion or new, you know, blockchain, they kind of want to be popular. They, they want to have a following. And so there's, there's a lot of um, oration and preaching and, and, you know, stimulating followership, even if it borders on exaggeration or, or hyperbole or, or saying the other one is wrong. That, but but you were part of that before you you left. You, you were part of that, so it's it's actually a really interesting parallel. But that's because there's nothing new in this world. We've talked about this over and over, right? You can go back 2,600 years. Humans do what humans do. A thousand years ago, same thing. Hundred years ago, same thing. Now the same thing, and that that is that is where we are. That is where we are. So I uh, I let, let's because uh, I, I think folks want to move on to first of all. Again, just to close out this, if you went to Permissionless, thank you so much. Um, we're doing it again in next year in Salt Lake City, actually literally heading west to borrow a phrase from Bankless. And we're baking out next year. This is going to be Permissionless 3. We're baking out a whole set of themes and ideas and stuff to sort of shape the conference. And you can follow along as those develop with us in real time. Park but- City is unbelievable. And again, back to, back to the religious thing, it's where uh, another religious sect ended up. Um, the the Mormons. So uh, there, look, there's there's a whole bunch of, of analogies. The going west and the frontiers and and uh, you know new new spaces, new exploration, all good. Um, all clearly, you know the only thing is that we're going to shift back to macro, which we, what we talk about. Mm. Clearly, you know, even though you weren't involved, we had Jack moderating. You know, the macro panel was the best panel of the, the conference. I will say, I, Mark, I think that was. Where the energy was highest, that it was a really high energy. It was a yeah, no, it was, it was, it was we good. We talk every every Friday, but man, I I love seeing you up there with Jim and Yuri, and that was just a blast. Well, and I'm just kind of pissed that I got outstyled by Urian. I mean, I I I dressed up. I thought I thought I was going to be the guy with the style on on stage, and no, Urian came in and out dazzled me. So. Mark, I love your style, but Urian's always going to do that. That man, he's been at many of our conferences. He's always the best dressed guy there. <laughs> he absolutely crushes the style. So um, I, I, I love you. I, I'll back your horse any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Urian's but, hey, always got I, my yeah, I, on that. I, 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 now I have a new aspirational goal. All right, let's uh, let's let's transition into into macro here. We had a CPI reading come out this week. I'm going to briefly share my screen here, and I'm actually just going to go. Should just give more shout outs to the Daily Shot. I, I it's one of the newsletters outside of the Blockworks newsletter that I just read religiously because it's so they do a very good job of just keeping things so, so good. So, um, but you know, to to give you the the TLDR, so headline CPI accelerated slightly, came in a little bit. I, I don't know if we'd call this a hot reading. We'd call it maybe a warm reading. And largely, what's driving CPI up is energy prices. So. You can see if you're following along via video the the different components that are driving this, and uh, yeah, it's this it's this light blue sort of line here, which is energy, which was actually deflationary for the last couple of months, but has turned inflationary again. So we've seen a boost in gasoline prices. Um, in in terms of core, which is this is we're looking at core CPI, really the metric that 
we know the Fed cares about a lot is core PCE. Um, but the core CPI came in a little bit hot. So the survey was expecting 0.2% month over month, and we got a 0.3% reading. So Mark, did, did you have any takeaways outside of just the, the numbers? Was this something that you were sort of expecting here? Or, or what, what's your, what are your current thoughts on well, this? Well, absolutely been expecting it. Look, mm. Saudi has, has, has left. They've left the building, right? You know, we, we cut a deal with Saudi in, in the 70s, the early 70s, and we had a deal, right? We protect them at all costs, regardless of what happens. Mm. And they price oil transactions in, in dollars and create dollar hegemony. And, and that's gone. It's gone. And they are going to align now with whoever they think helps them the most get to where they, they want to be, which is you know, they, they see a future where fossil fuels are not the only thing, right? And their whole society has been built on the fact that they sit on top of the world's largest oil and gas field. And so they've been trying to figure out what to do. And what they've decided is um, they're not going to be monogamous anymore. They're mm. going to date around. And, you know, that was most evident. We talked about this, you know, uh, last year, uh, pre-election, yeah. where, you know, the big guy said, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Saudi and I'm going to get them to, you know, pump more and lower, lower gas prices so I, I, I can get my, my Dems elected. And, and, and MBS is like, pound sand, dude, be gone. We're, 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 you know, we're buddies with Putin and, and the Chinese now. So, uh, toodles. And Joe came back and said, shit, I got to have oil prices down before the election. So what do you do? He drained the SPR. Strategically, really bad decision. And now, now it's going to get Mark, worse. Can you, can you just describe, by the way, for folks, oh, why do we keep an SPR? I just why did it. Just, I just used jargon without explaining it. No, it's, 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 petroleum I, reserve. I think it's, it, I think most people know what the strategic, but, but tell people why that's such a critical, like, why do we stockpile oil and why should this not, I'm, I'm, I'm leading the witness here, but why should yeah. we not use that for political purposes, right? There's a reason why we keep this, this well, crude stockpile. I mean, strategic petroleum reserve is, is a very accurate description, right? It is a large store of maybe the most valuable resource there is. See, this is one of the things that kind of drives me crazy. Like, you know, we need to outlaw fossil fuels. Like, you want to stop actually living your life? I mean, look around. Everything you do every day is dependent on fossil fuels. Every single thing. And this idea that somehow we can stop using fossil fuels is just, just nonsense. doesn't mean we can't use other things, but can't do it. So this is a very, very important and valuable asset. And having, being dependent on other people to provide it um, is a problem. Now, I, so we, we created this thing because we were so dependent on Saudi for, you know, sending us oil that, and U.S. production had fallen. And long story short, uh, we need to have this in the case that, you know, something happens, right? What if they change their mind and we can't get the oil and we can't live our lives? We can't be you know, militarily powerful 
because we need the oil and gas to, you know, fly the planes and, and uh, make the bombs. So one little change, that's a pretty big change, is fracking, hydraulic fracking, allowed the U.S. to become one of the largest oil producers in the world again. So you know, Russia's right at the top, Saudi's at the number one, and we're right there in the one, two, three. Um, now there's some subtle differences. We produce light, sweet crude versus heavy, sour crude. Most of our refining infrastructure in the United States is for heavy, sour because we imported so much from Saudi. But we're, and it takes a long time to change refineries because nobody wants a refinery in their backyard, it turns out. Um, they exactly. do emit a few pollutants, actually. But uh, so we can't just switch on a dime. So what do we do? We actually have to export all this light, sweet crude to other countries that have the refining capacity for that because we can't really refine it. So we're in this place where we're still dependent on Saudi because they have the heavy sour. So we have this strategic reserve. Well, draining it means now if the Saudis change their mind, which they just did. And part of the reason we're seeing this hot print and gas prices starting to rise is Saudi just decided unilaterally, you know what, we're going to cut production. We want higher prices. We're going to sell some shares of our big oil company. We want to maximize the price. So we need oil prices up. Well, if we don't have any oil in the reserve to pull we can't run our refineries. So what happened? There's less gasoline, less jet fuel, prices go up. And then it gets worse because now to refill the SPR, you're going to pay higher prices from the Saudis, which is what they want. So where we used to have a mutually beneficial relationship, maybe even some would say the upper hand in the relationship, they, they're, they're large and in charge right now. We, we have a problem. And it comes from you know, bad leadership and all kinds of other things, but yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, what, what I wanted to get a sense of from you as well is, I mean, how do you think the market took this print? From, from my perspective, and again, I haven't been, you know, hawk-eyed watching the charts here, but it looks yep. like they've largely shrugged it off. So if you look at yep. the NASDAQ and the S&P, they're both slightly up on the week. And if you look at what the market is pricing in, in terms of rate uh, expectations, so hikes versus cuts for the rest of the year, uh, or going through 2024, rather, it, it looks it looks pretty unchanged, right? So sorry, that's a little bit small for you here. But basically, it looks like we're still going to get uh, the, the market is pricing in uh, another rate cut in November, and then rate hike start, in November. Uh, yeah, sorry, rate hike in November, and then starting to cut around March of next year. So, Which is so redonkulous. I mean, the, the whole hope springs eternal, the whole, the Fed's going to pivot, the Fed's going to pivot. My stonks are going up. Yeah, baby. Mm. This is so dumb. I mean, this is dumb. It's just dumb. I mean, well, why? Why is it dumb? Because why should the Fed cut interest rates? Why? Right? What, what is the rationale for cutting interest rates? The reason you cut interest rates is because an economy is slowing at a rapid pace and you need to stimulate the economy. Mm. All right? 
No one's talking about that. Everybody's talking about the no landing and everything's great and we're reaccelerating. And, you know, yeah. we had somebody this week come out and say, uh, oh, Krugman, freaking Krugman. Oh my God. Um, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's why I should actually think maybe that chart's right. When Krugman says something, the opposite is going to happen. But he's like, oh, we've had, you know, epic prints of economic activity. On what planet? Are, are you talking about this? No, we're not in depth of recession or depression, which, you know, a year and a half ago, there would have been many people, including myself even, that, that would have thought that was a, a potentiality. So, but we are not in this big expansion. I mean, yeah, the, the GDP came out positive instead of negative but then we revised it down and probably gets revised down again, but it's, it's not bad, right? It's right at stall speed. You know, if we're, if we're going to run at 2%, again, that's not bad, but it's not great. And yep. that's, that's a, to, to, to claim that we have some, I can't, I can't, even, I, I can't remember the exact word he used, but it was literally hyperbolic. Like this is the best economic data we've ever seen. Like not, not even close. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm now I'm now I've got Paul Krugman's feed pulled up here. He, he put, he put something together in terms of uh, an inflation update. So in the past, I focused on a measure that excludes lagging shelter and used cars, as well as food and energy, just to note that it adds up to the evidence that inflation has been largely defeated. And we're looking at a chart that went way up here in, you know, 21, early 22, and is now back down to the Fed's target of 2%. Exactly. 2% on the dot. I, I don't know. I, I understand that the economy is really complicated. I would push back against the notion that you could distill it down to one metric that matters. I understand. But there is a fine line in between adding some nuance and looking at multiple metrics versus changing the scorecard as the scorecard tells you things that you don't want to hear. And I feel like we're playing jump rope with that concept right now because you know every couple of weeks we get someone else's measure of inflation showing us that prices are back to where they should be. But yeah, you know, what's the point of having this metric if we change the scorecard? Numbers that we don't want to see. I, you know, my favorite has always been the difference between inflation and core inflation. Inflation excluding food and energy. And I used to make this joke, like, as long as you don't put gas in your car, heat or cool your house, send your kids to college, you know, go to the grocery store or, you know, use medical care. You're right, there's no inflation. But if you happen to do any of those other things, which is life, um, there's inflation. But it's not inflation. You and I have talked about this. It's currency devaluation. And that's why I think there's so much of this, you know, uh, three-card Monty and, you know, you know, hide the whatever. Um, it's because people don't want, to, want you to pay attention to the reality what Voorhees was talking about, what Robert Breedlove was talking about, what, well, actually Ayn Rand was talking about, you know, decades ago, is when men, and it is men, a small number of men, control the issuance of the currency, they will destroy it. And that's exactly what's happening right before our eyes. And we are on the precipice, actually, I believe, we actually are on the precipice of losing control. Like Weimar, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, I, you know, uh, 
you know, Argentina is going through this, you know, pre-election cycle and there's this, you know, radical guy and he's, you know, yeah, pretty good shot to win, uh, which actually be a really good thing. But there's a funny post. Someone said, uh, <laughs> I think it was Bianco. Actually, but it was Bianco. You know, I love Jimmy. And he said, this is an economic announcement. Argentina holds key rate at 118%. 118%? Think about that. We're whining because rates have gone back to five and a half, six percent 118%? That, that is a broken economy. And again, from bad leadership and corruption, and it's from, now they actually had a woman because Christina was involved but bad people doing bad stuff. And if you are an average person in Argentina and you didn't convert your pesos into Bitcoin, screwed. I mean, and Wences, I wish I could remember where he did the, 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 the original speech, but Wences Casares mm. does this amazing speech about his aha moment yeah. with Bitcoin because he watched his family lose everything three times, <laughs> not once, not twice, three times where inflation spiked to, to quad digits and the government basically, you know, gets soup, people at the top get super rich and everybody else gets wiped out. It's what happened in Venezuela. It's what's happened in, I mean, Turkey. Erdogan's living in a palace and the people are having to pay really expensive prices for stuff to live. And so this is, this is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And I think your point of, oh, we're going to just change the metrics and, and get everyone to believe that this thing that we told them it's good for them, inflation. Remember, they told us inflation's good for us. And on what planet is a policy that steals half your purchasing power over 30 years good for me? Just, just generally speaking, if you're going to take half my purchasing power away over time, why is that good for me? That's not good for me. What's good for me is giving me something that appreciates rather than depreciates, that increases in value as opposed to devalues. That would be good for me. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Let me ask you something. I, I, have, a, I have a question to you on. So... The I'm here. I'm here with you on the inflation is is bad, right? Like we just shouldn't let someone, you know, with vi- depending on how you define transparency, right? Like we do get Fed minutes and we do get a presser from Jay Powell, mm-hmm. etc. And actually, in terms of transparency, the you the the Fed is much better than other global central banks. But overall, I, I really like Lynn Alden's sort of framing for this, which is that look, 
the majority of people on this podcast, uh, you know, we've seen the shift in active to passive money management over the years. As yep. I know, like many active managers, not all, uh, but many active managers can't beat the index or the, their benchmark. So why should we expect active management of the base money to yield any better results? Right? It's a much more complicated system. So all that to say, too much inflation is bad. Too much deflation is bad. Also, so there, there needs to be some balance of this. And you know, when you're talking about something as complicated as monetary policy, it's very it's very difficult because there are periods of time of extreme stress where, yeah, you, you do want to be able to sort of, you know, break in case of emergency and, and, and do something extreme. So I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've really thought about this and I have yet to come up with a, what I think is a really compelling one size fits all solution answer to this, because on the one hand, I, what I think we're going through right now is you've taken the ability to control money as, and, and sort of put your, your finger on the scale when it feels appropriate uh, to an extreme. And I think now at some point, probably in, in my lifetime, I don't know if it's next year or 10 years from now or 20 years from now or, or my kid's lifetime, but there will be consequences for the experimentation that our central banks have been running. I, I, I refuse to believe that you can get something from nothing. And it's and right now. Some, no, no, look, it, it, it's right now. I mean, it, it's that, right? It's that sign right there. Yeah. That's why we do this. That's why we're here. That's why permissionless just happened. Think about it. And and I don't know. I don't know that you actually designed it this way. Maybe you did, and you're geniuses, and and bravo if that's the case. But our lives are permissioned. Think about it. We subject ourselves voluntarily, but it's not really voluntarily because there's threat of violence against us. We give half of what we earn to a centralized authority to do with it whatever they want with no accountability whatsoever. And then if they overspend, they just print more. If you and I overspend, we go to jail right? You don't pay your bills. You get evicted from your house. You get arrested as, as a criminal. I mean, it's not quite that extreme, but there used to be a debtor's prison. And it, it, it's- You mess your life up. I don't you mess your life up really badly. Life and, up. and every transaction has the threat of being denied. Mm. Every single one. Now, and this is a really good point that Eric made that most of the time, permission is granted. But it might not be. If you were in Cyprus, like mm-hmm. I, I talked this with bank, right? Put your money in the bank. It's not your money. It's their money. It's not yours. You have an IOU. And that IOU is good 99.99% of the time. But if you happen to be in Cyprus in 2012 and you woke up and went to the bank, you got 25 cents on the dollar. No explanation. No, oh, I'm sorry. No, no recourse, right? You can't, you can't argue. That IOU was canceled. And the same thing with, with our money, right? Is 246 years to print 10 trillion. And then two, we print 10 trillion, 244 years. And then in two, we print 10 trillion, which means that yeah, not great. the price of things that we need 
and this is this is the insidious part, right? If you're at the top, you don't care because mm. you can afford it. If you're in the middle and the bottom, you care a lot because you got to pay your rent and you got to pay for food and you got to pay your taxes. Well, now, okay, I can trim going to Applebee's. Mm. And then I won't be able to sing the song fancy, which I it's kind of catchy. Um, and then you can trim going to the movies and AMC stock can collapse. And you can trim taking that exotic vacation. And then the airline stocks go. But at the end, you can't really trim all your food and you can't really <laughs> downsize. Apple cannot trim all your food. No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, now, unfortunately, look, I, I, this is one of my, my personal, I don't know what to call it, but it, it drives me absolutely crazy. Should probably try to figure out a way to do something about it. But you know, listen, you know, we live in a country where we spend $20 billion a year on weight loss and 10 million kids go to bed hungry every night. It's not a calorie problem, right? There's plenty of calories. Oh my God, have you seen the pumpkin spice latte thing? 185 grams that. of sugar. 185 grams of sugar. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, that was just, I like, that's not possible. How, how do you even get 46 teaspoons of sugar in, in liquid form? Just yeah. crazy. But I think this back to the, the, the inflation print. So inflation's going up. Well, is it? Or what's really happening? Well, gas prices are going up, which is yep. a big piece of it. Well, why are gas prices going up? Well, because of this bad policy decision to drain the SBR. So all of these things are interconnected. Well, why is all this happening? Guess what? Zelensky's, I think, going to be here today to exacerbate the situation. Because he's going to tell us we need to send him and his country more money. For, for what? I mean... That is corruption because that money is then circling back, as Mitch McConnell told us before he froze up. And again, I'm really sorry for his family. Um, that it's just coming back to defense contractors in the United States. That's just that I don't, I don't, I don't need more bombs. I need a solution to 10 million kids going to bed hungry. I yeah, I completely understand that. I and I I want to um you know just in terms of that the. The inflation, the, the reason why the inflation thing is so difficult, at least for me to wrap my, my arms around is it, it's very difficult. You know, if you've been listening and I've been listening to, to very smart people talk about this for the last, you know, two, two, three years, yep. it's, it's very difficult to get an accurate prognosis on it. And I want to, I want to zoom into two metrics here, which is, uh, uh, retail sales. So yep. we got a strong retail sales print, but if you look under, underneath the hood, what's driving that? It's really all gasoline. All so, gasoline. Yeah, all gasoline. Looking, yeah, we're looking yeah. at U.S. retail sales in August, and they've they've broken it out by category: gasoline, clothing and accessories, electronics and appliance, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see, I mean, the vast majority of what's what's impacting the change on a month over month basis is. But Michael, gasoline. But Michael, the consumer is so strong. The consumer is so strong, so resilient. Yeah, that's what that's what the headlines are going to say. And yeah. the fact that no one pulls up this chart 
and says, wait a minute, you're, you're telling me that retail sales beat, right there, beat expectations. Now, this one actually says, because Americans are paying more for gasoline, but the other headlines don't talk about that. They're just like, hey, the consumer is strong. Paying more for gasoline because of dumb policy decisions and, and the whims of Saudi is not a strong consumer. It's just not. And the fact that I have to, keyword, have to spend more to get places. Like if, if you drive to work, okay, you have to buy gasoline. You don't have a choice. And it's so frustrating that that's going to be spun as a positive. There's nothing positive about that. Just not. Yeah, I agree with that. It's... It- it's so definitely this this last month has been impacted quite a bit by gasoline. Although if you look at the overall trend for US retail sales and then real retail sales, it's still paint. So obviously retail sales, which doesn't take into account inflation is roaring and very high. But even if you look at real retail sales, it's still, we're still hanging in. And I think there are, you know, you and I have been talking about some things recently, credit card debt, um, and things like that, that might indicate that that's about to roll over, but we'll see. And I, I still think what we talked about a couple of weeks well, ago. Look, look, look at the blue line though, right? Yeah. After the, hey, here's, you know, 1200 bucks, spike off the bottom. We're down, right? From, yep. the, from the peak that, oh, I got free money. We're down. Now, we're flat. So we went down and then we flatlined. And the, I, I, what I love about this too is, is you know, the, the black line and the blue line are highly correlated on the left-hand side of the chart. And then there's a I've sudden Totally diversion. broken, yeah. It's like, whoa, well, why is that? And I call these alligator jaws, right? Alligator jaws charts always close. Mm. Always. And it, you don't know when, and timing's hard, but, but they always close. And it's because there should be a correlation between these two series. Uh, and the fact that there's not is because of this ridiculous experiment, I call it a ridiculous experiment, with the cult of Kelton and MMT. And you, know, you can't double the money supply. And I, you know, I, I, I was going to say, I, well, let me finish sentence. You can't double the money supply and not expect there to be consequences, what you said earlier. I have to give a little credit where credit is due. I did not believe that the Fed would go through with their promise to actually reduce their balance sheet and, and hence actually reduce money supply. They should have. I mean, it's, it's tiny, but it's the first reduction actually in 100 years, which is hard to believe. Um, so that's something. Um, now, it's not enough because of, I think, the damage that was done by, by the original experiment, but it's something. So I, I, I'll give them a little bit of credit. Wait, what do you mean by 100? I thought in various periods of time over the last like 10 years or so, they've, they've tried to roll some assets on the balance the sheet. The rate off. of Not growth really. has gone down, but the, the, the actual, and again, based on the, the chart, and I'll, I'll, I'll find it and make sure that I, I'm, I'm not misquoting, t- 
to have money supply growth actually be negative, I think the last time that happened was 100 years ago. Oh, money supply. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking about the, the Fed's actual balance sheet. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. What yeah, money supply. Here? Yeah, yeah. Money yeah. supply growth was positive for 100 years. Yeah. Which, wait a minute, what happened 100 years ago, 110 years ago? Oh, the Fed was created. Yeah. Um, which is neither federal nor has any reserves, by the way. But um, anyway, so I digress. Yeah. I, I want to conclude this by by talking about uh, something again, just because we're we're continuously referencing Jim here. He had a really good point, I thought, um, just about the the bond trade that is being put on right now. So a lot of the big shops are very interested in our extremely long bonds. So I'll, I'll share this this chart that he showed. Um, and I think the bet would ultimately be, right, to put it in really simple terms, that the 10-year is at a local peak. Um, and we probably expect that to go down. You can see that's what we talked about with uh, rate cuts being priced in towards as you start to move out March of 2024 and, and beyond. So essentially, what a lot of the, the largest and most sophisticated investors are saying right now is that all right, it's probably time to go long bonds because the pain is over and rate cuts are coming soon. Um, now, Jim, we can go into this entire thread, but you know, he basically listed out all these, um, you know, like the PIMCOs of the world and institutions of that ilk and, and described this being a, a screaming buy. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, is can everyone be right, right? And is this really the time to get long bonds and or does the, the long end of the curve especially have more room to run? So what do you think about this? Point? Well, I, I, I think the, the question, as, as always, which is, is your, your role that you do so well, posing the right questions is the most important part of, of the show. You know, the answers are fine. Our conversations are fine. But it's the questions. And good questions are way more important than good answers. And, and this is the question, I think, right now. And, and one caveat, uh, I agree with all of, of the premise that you, you laid out and, and Jim's insight, but you said if, if, that not everyone can be right. I don't think everyone has this trade on. I think a decent number of smart people, smart meaning, maybe smart's wrong, professional people uh, have this trade on. Average person doesn't have this trade on. So I, I, I think that group, now you could even say within that subset, you know, the professional investors, can they all be right? Well, history tells us no. Um, when everyone's on one side of the boat, usually, you know, the other side happens. And so like when everybody's short, the dollar, dollar goes up. And when everybody's long gold, gold goes down. So I do think even within the subset of, of professional investors, the, the question is the right question. Could, can they all be right? Um, my view is, is I, I feel like there's a, a diametrically opposed set of factions here or, 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 or pair of factions here. There's a whole bunch of people. It's the seventies. Inflation's going to stay higher for longer. Rates are higher for longer. I hear that every day, like literally every day. Well, those people certainly are buying bonds. No, no way, no how. Well, and if they are, they're talking about both sides of their mouth, which would make them Goldman. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, I 
That's why I said I think the chart of forecasting in straight cuts starting in March is so dumb. There's nothing from a data perspective that would make you think that other than hopium, right? We hope that rates go down so we can justify the ridiculous, and, and, and I'm going to say it again, ridiculous valuations of the Magnificent Seven and, and the stalwart, you know, NVIDIA. It's just, it, there's never been a more overvalued stock. That's, that's saying something. There's never been a more overvalued mainstream big cap stock than NVIDIA. Not ever, which is crazy. Not Microsoft, not Amazon, not Intel, not Cisco in 2000. None of them were as overvalued. And it can stay overvalued for a long time, but, but at some point it will get back to undervalued. And the only way, and I think it was Jim who said this on stage uh, mm-hmm. on Tuesday. We've had five multiple points in the S&P. But interest rates are up, not down. And economic growth is stagnant to revising down. And oil prices are rising. That's not an environment for multiple expansion. It's just not, right? Just by math, it's just not. And so the only hope you have is that we get back. But see, here's, here's, here's my, my big problem. This hopium belief reminds me of, of what happens when you deal with polluted data, right? You get conditioned that that was normal. There's a whole bunch of people who came into their professional lives over a 10-year period where zero, oh, that's just normal. It's not normal. (laughs) Not ever was that normal. It wasn't normal in the 1930s and it wasn't normal now. And so that, but that data pollutes people's perception of markets, just like the period in, in 96 to 2000 polluted a whole generation of investors to say, oh, 10 times revenues is normal. No, it's not. And we got to 15% companies were selling at 10 times revenues. And we went all the way back to zero, which is the right number. Zero. There should never be companies selling at 10 times revenues. Never. So, and now we're way higher, like 18%, I think we hit a peak. I can't remember. But anyway, so that's the, the right question is, can everyone be right? So that's no. When everyone's on the same side of the boat, go to the other side of the boat. But I don't think everyone's on the same side of the boat. I think very few people actually own long bonds. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of an interesting trade. Interesting. All right, Mark. Well, unfortunately, we've got to wrap it here. But best hour of my week was so nice to see you in person. Uh, it was. And, and one of these days, we will do uh, an IRL. Uh, yeah. In fact, I, I was saying that, that what I really wanted to do is, is kind of set up in the, in the main hall and then like grab random people, you know, and, and bring them on the show and say, well, what do you think about this? And let's ask you some questions. Um, so thanks for, uh, for doing this. Thanks for, for having me be a part of it. Thanks for, you know, the, the great show this week in Austin. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon, Mark. Cheers. Cheers.